Hey guys, welcome to the One Life Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today, and we hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. Enjoy the message. So we've been doing a series on Worship King Jesus, and I've titled today's message, From Brokenness to New Beginnings. And I want to start this morning with a, just a bit of a short story, if that's okay. An archaeologist was digging in the Negev Desert in Israel and came upon a casket containing a mummy. After examining it, he called the curator of a prestigious natural history museum. He said, I've just discovered a 3,000-year-old mummy of a man who died of heart failure. Pretty bold. The excited archaeologist explained. To which the curator replied, bring him in. We'll check it out. A week later, the amazed curator called the archaeologist and said, you were right about the mummy's age and cause of death. How in the world did you know that? Easy, said the archaeologist. There was a bookie's ticket still in his hand that said 10,000 shekels on Goliath. (laughs) He died of shock. You know, in life, none of us are exempt from setbacks. As I already alluded to, COVID-19, 2020, you know, 2021, life gives us setbacks. There's always things that come along and, and, and you know, we, we find ourselves making some progress and then something else pushes back against us. And, and you know, it's something that I, I'm learning in my 47th year to continue to put my trust in God when things like this happen in life. And, um, and how can I worship King Jesus? How can I use those things within me that seem broken beyond repair? How can I use those things to push into the heart of God and find peace and find fulfillment and find contentment in Him? And I believe that this is a key that God uses in our lives when setbacks come along. You know, our own Australian culture has very strong ties with stories of people who have endured through hardships. We've even got this colloquial term that we use in this country called the Aussie Battler. And the media will often refer to hardship stories of people that have been beset by bushfires. We had those bushfires, terrible bushfires in 2019. People that have been beset by by all sorts of, you know, poverty. People that have been beset by by family dysfunction. And, And we affectionately refer to these people as the Aussie battler. It's a term of endearment that we actually give to people. We have this real soft spot for the underdog because I think deep down within our culture, we're the underdog. You know, we're down under. Um, you know, we started off as, as penal colonies and there was hardship and, you know, you, you got sent to Australia because, you know, you're a very bad person. It was like, it was like for us to be sent to the moon, literally an environment that was just so foreign to people. And yet our culture has been able to build on this. And um, hey, cue a guy by the name of Daryl Kerrigan. Anyone remember Daryl? There he is. Daryl Kerrigan, who's known famously as the um, character uh, in The Castle, the movie The Castle. For those of you who may not, who's not familiar with the story of The Castle? Everyone's familiar. You know, even I found out that our kids actually get to watch The Castle in school. You know, they actually teach it as part of some of the curriculum now, which I was quite surprised about. But, you know, he's, he's a person who was an underdog. And, and you know, the power, uh, the power play that was at hand was, was uneven. And, and Daryl got dealt a really lousy hand. And it's just amazing, you know, how we can really identify with the underdog. And I want us to reflect on the life of King David today because, 
you know, David was known as many things, but one thing that he was, was he was a worshiper of the living God. He knew how to press in to the heart of God. And uh, King David, for those of you that aren't aware, King David personally authored at least 73 of the Psalms in the Bible. And uh, if, you, if you've ever read any of the Psalms or spent any time in the Psalms, you'll get a really good snapshot to a person's life that is just so open and frank with his God. He, he pulls no punches. He holds nothing back. He allows his heart to be fu- a full expression of what he's feeling, the emotions, the torment, you know, the trials that he's going through. And yet he comes out of this place of, of brokenness and despair and he says, but God, I will put my trust in you. You are my deliverer. You are, you know, you are the shelter. You, I, I abide in the shadow of the Almighty. You know, he was able to write these Psalms that he just had such confidence in the God that he served. And in fact, I believe that if, if King David ever wrote an autobiography, he'd probably call it something like From the Paddock to the Palace. Because literally, he knew what it was like to do it tough. He was a shepherd boy. He was left out into, you know, the backside of some places to tend to sheep. And uh, I believe, as I alluded to this morning, it was in these places where David was able to develop his relationship with the Lord and really push into the heart of God to the point where we're told uh, in the Bible that David was a man after God's own heart. And this is what the prophet Samuel said about him. And it was also referenced in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 13 and verse 22, it says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. I read that scripture and I think, can I make that confession? Can I say, can a man after God's own heart? And and. I pause on those words and I reflect on those words and I think King David was a man that was after the heart of God. How much should we be after God's heart as well? If we want to experience the breakthrough, if we want to experience the contentment and the fulfillment that he found worshipping his Lord and Saviour, you know, that place of intimacy, that place of connection, that place of knowing the heart of God, that's something that I really long for. I'm working my way towards that. But if I'm perfectly honest, I don't believe I'm there like David was. I don't believe I'm in that place of just total surrender and total yielding to God that I know that God, you know, I know his heart. And I just believe it's, it reveals something very telling about the life of David. But if we know anything about the life of David, it was not a life without challenges. And I just want to touch on some of those today. You know, David was the youngest son of Jesse. And in Jewish culture, the youngest child, you know, the, the, the honor and, and all the prestige went to the eldest child. The firstborn was the child that got the most recognition. And so he was the youngest child of Jesse. So f- straight from the gate, this guy has got everything in that, in that sense of, 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 you know, worldly possession and, and, and uh, title uh, going against him in that regard because he's the youngest son of his father. He was overlooked by his own father when the prophet Samuel actually came around and started searching for the next king to anoint. You know, Samuel knew nothing more than to go to Jesse and to anoint one of his sons. And when, when the prophet Samuel, the story goes on, when the prophet Samuel saw the first son, he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God said, no, I, I haven't chosen him. And how often do we, me, 
judge things or, or discern things from outward appearance. Yet God says that he looks at the heart. And I thank God that he looks at what's in our heart. That can be very scary and it can also be very good for us. David was a shepherd, as I said. Even when, when the prophet Samuel came around to, to anoint the next king of Israel, you know, poor old David wasn't even considered worthy to be present with the other brothers at that point in time. And, and Samuel gets to the end of the line and he says, is there another? And he goes, oh, yeah, there is another one. You know, and I think fancy being in that place where he wasn't even considered by his own father that he could possibly be anointed as the next king of Israel. One thing that I really admire about David was that he was a skilled musician and worshipper. And, um, you know, as someone that tries to play music, I'll say, yeah, I play music, but I'd love to be more skilled than what I am. You know, the Bible tells us that, that David played skillfully. And when Saul, King Saul, was tormented um, uh, in, in his palace, they would call for David, and David would play his harp skillfully i don't know what sort of tunes he was banging out on that instrument but i tell you what the presence of god landed in that palace it landed in that place so much so that it soothed the spirit that came over saul you know and i just think that that david had honed this ability to go after the heart of god in worship he went on to be a giant slayer and a warrior Uh, the bible records him as israel's greatest king in fact david is the second most mentioned person in the Bible apart from God, the Lord, or Jesus Christ himself. And so it just goes to show how much of, of David is, is through the Bible and his life through the Bible as a worshiper and a person that was pursuing the heart of God. We all know that David, he committed adultery, and that was his biggest, biggest undoing uh, when he uh, you know, saw Bathsheba. He was on the roof of his palace and he should have been at war. That's when the kings were at war, but he was just chilling back at the palace. You know, I don't know if he was out there taking in the stars, but he was taking in much more than the stars that night. And, and David's heart, you know, became obsessed, you could say, maybe even under control by this desire to be with this woman. And to me, it speaks of the fact that no matter how good a worshipper he was no matter how skilled a musician he was do you know what David was still a man David was still a man that had faults he was still a man that had areas in his life that that still weren't quite yielded to God still not quite under control and so I believe that that there's hope for each one of us there's hope for each one of us that that God can do something great with us as well one thing that David really understood was he understood the way back to the Father's heart through embracing his own brokenness. And I want to just touch on that today because the enemy would want to use our brokenness against us. The enemy would want us to focus on our faults. He'd want us to focus on our failings and focus on everything that is wrong with ourselves to the point where it's not just conviction, but it becomes condemnation. And I want to remind us today that that is not from God. That is straight from the pit of hell. God desires for us to see ourselves as righteous, as Matthew was explaining this morning in communion, washed in the blood of Jesus. You know, we are a new creation, created anew in Christ Jesus. And whilst we can acknowledge that there's areas in our life that, that are still, you know, yet to be perfected, Friend, perfection's not going to happen until we go home to be with Jesus. 
And so whilst we're here on this earth, we've got to come to terms with our brokenness. We've got to be able to embrace our brokenness. We've got to be able to worship King Jesus with our brokenness. (laughs) And I think that's something that is just so liberating to my life. Because I can find in life, I can be so darn hard on myself. I, I tend to struggle with a perfectionist spirit. And I'm happy to admit that to you today. I'm not happy to admit it, but I'm open to admit it today because I'm a broken person. I struggle with with wanting everything just to be right. And I I could reference things in my life where I may be looking for a parent's approval. Maybe I could, you know, sit with someone that could be like a psychologist or, you know, a, a, a person that's qualified in that area. And they'd be able to say, a profiler, that's the word I was looking for. And they'd be able to say, that you're, you're this way because of X, Y, and Z. All of us are a certain way. We all come into this world. We all have family. We all have trials. We all have baggage. And I want to remind us, because I need reminding of this, that God is quite happy to work with my brokenness. God is quite happy. Actually, God is quite at ease with me coming to Him in bits and pieces fragments of myself that's quite okay to him and I find that very liberating that I can come to God and I can worship him no matter how messy or messed up I might find myself God will never turn a a repentant person away from himself his heart is just so generous and so loving towards us so if, if you're here today and you're struggling with condemnation or perhaps you're listening to this at a later date Friend, I just want to encourage you. God loves you and God is for you. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. See, Jesus just didn't come to save the lost. He came to seek the lost. And so you might find yourself in a place where the enemy is saying, God doesn't know about you. He's not He's not concerned about you. He's not, you're not even on his radar. Friend, I want to remind you that the Bible says that Jesus is seeking you. No matter where you are, no matter where life has put you in a corner, Jesus and the Spirit of Christ is seeking after you and He loves you. And He's got a plan for your life and He just wants to liberate your life and bring freedom to your life. Amen. In 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13, after David had, had his uh, little misdemeanor exposed by the prophet Nathan, Nathan comes along and he, and he talks to David about, you know, this person that took a little lamb and, and explained this story and, you know, took it away from someone. And, and David got really upset about that story. Who is this person? You know, we need to deal with them. And he said, that person's you. And all of a sudden, David came undone. David realized that he was a broken man. David realized that he needed to be restored back to his father again. And let's see what happens here in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. How many of us can find that it's easy to confess that we have sinned against the Lord? You know, imagine if I came knocking on your door tomorrow and there was some deep, dark secret that the Holy Spirit just happened to reveal to me. And I came knocking and I said, hey, Ben, how's it doing? Man, I was just seeking the Lord last night in prayer and and, and, and the Holy Spirit just said to me, you know, Ben's bought another car. Ange doesn't know about it. <laughs> That's very plausible in that household, I'm telling you. 
He's not going to disagree with that. But what if it was something more deeper and sincere? And I actually dug a little deeper and I found that there was some unconfessed sin. And the, the Holy Spirit, by the way, has never done that yet. So, you know, if you see me knocking at the door, don't go, whoa, here we go. It's happened. Okay. Just a little disclaimer. But you never know. Hey, would you be open to saying, Ken, you're right. I've blown it. I've sinned. I, I want to do everything. Now, what, what, I've got to do everything in my power now to get my relationship back with the Lord on track again. Because God wants to restore us. God never wants to expose something just to shame you. He's not into naming and shaming. He's into restoring. He'll only ever put his finger on something because he wants to bring restoration and healing to your life. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Those words must have been so refreshing to King David at that time. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child would die. There were still going to be consequences. We pick the story up again in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 18. And it says, then on the seventh day, the child died. So David went into a place of, of deep mourning that, that even though the prophet Nathan had said that the child would die, David still pressed into the heart of God and said, you know, I believe he was there weeping. I believe he would have done everything they would have done in the day, you know, covered themselves in, in ashes and whatever and wore sackcloth, tore clothes, done whatever, Try to getting, trying to get God's attention in some way that God maybe, just maybe God would still change his mind, even though the word came through the prophet. See, he knew the father's heart that much that he was willing to lay it all down before him again and say, God, if you're willing, this son, this child will live. However, on the seventh day the child died, David advisors were afraid to tell him. They wouldn't listen. Uh, he, he wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then get this, this was his next move. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions. Men, it's okay to put on lotions, okay? It's okay to put, so all those Christmas lotions you got, run with that. And changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and what did he do? He worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. Psalm 51 is just an amazing psalm about the heart of David towards his God. And I just want to share verse 7 out of the Amplified Classic this morning. And he says this, David, my sacrifice, the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, broken down with sorrow for sin and humbly and thoroughly penitent. Such, O oh God, you will not despise. See, God, he's quite comfortable with our brokenness. We sometimes are, are a bit like Adam in the garden. We want to hide ourselves. We want to hide the shame that, that comes around about our life. All the while, God is saying, son, daughter, come into my presence. I want to restore you. I want, I want to bring freedom to your life. I came that you would have freedom. I came that you wouldn't live 
bound up and, and, and in a place of dysfunction. I came that your life would have meaning, that your life would have purpose. I have a plan for your life. And God just desires to set us free. And I believe, just like David, as David came to that place of brokenness, he understood that by worshipping God, he would be restored again and God could make something beautiful out of the brokenness. There's a quote by um, Peter Scazzaro, and he says this, he says, Our foundational neediness as human beings is not something to be healed or overcome, but to be embraced as our greatest source of strength. In Psalm 121, David was challenged with this. He said, where does my help come from? And I want to ask us and challenge us with that question today. Where does your help come from? Does your help come from your bank account? Does your help come from your very best friend or your partner? Does your help come from some other source? Or does your help come from God? See, as we align ourselves and as we, as we come into this new year, I want us to be focused on where our help comes from and who is the source of our worship, who is the source of our praise, and who is the one that takes our brokenness and turns it into something beautiful. David said in that Psalm 121, 1-2, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I just want to share, just in closing today, um, and I might just invite the musicians to come if that's okay. Um, on page 198 and 199 of Peter Schizero, the guy that I just quoted, his book titled Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, he talks about a... Uh, actually, Emily, I might get you to bring that up if you could. There's a picture there. Thank you. Some people might be familiar with this. Um, it's a Japanese art form called Kintsugi. And uh, it's developed in Japan. It was developed in Japan in the 14th century. Kintsugi takes broken pieces of pottery and rejoins them using a lacquer with a beautiful gold power. The word Kintsugi literally means to join with gold. What makes Kintsugi art so unique is that it actually emphasizes the broken pieces rather than trying to hide or disguise them, or discarding the object altogether. The art of Kintsugi reflects the Japanese philosophy of wabi-sabi, not to be mistaken with wasabi, the stuff that you put on your sushi, but it's a good way to remember it. The philosophy of wabi-sabi, which calls for seeing beauty in the flawed, the damaged and imperfect, once reassembled, the piece, the piece is considered more beautiful and elegant than the original as the fault lines are now lined with precious veins of gold. It is also stronger and more precious as the repaired breakages make the object more, not less valuable. How amazing is that? I think it just beautifully illustrates what Jesus Christ does for our lives. As we worship King Jesus, he takes those broken pieces of our lives and he glues them back together with his blood which i believe is more precious than gold it's 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 more precious than any earthly substance whatsoever jesus comes and uses our brokenness we come to jesus in our brokenness and out of our brokenness we see something so beautiful in a new beginning just to uh close today 
I just want to remind us that God has always used crackpots. That's where the term come from. Crackpot. God has always used imperfect people. Pots that are cracked. Pots that are marred. You know, Moses stuttered. And he, and he didn't want to go to Pharaoh. Don't choose me. Choose someone else, you know. You know, there were faults with, with Moses. Rahab was a prostitute. Hello? You know, she was used mightily in allowing Israel to come in and, and besiege Jericho. Jacob was a liar. He was known. The name Jacob was known as deceiver. No, not this Jacob up here. But he was known as a deceiver. You know, stole his brother's birthright. And um, Jonah ran from God. I believe it was Pastor Steve was speaking a couple of weeks ago. And Jonah actually ran away from the call of God on his life. And even when he fulfilled the call of God on his life, he was still upset with God. No, Noah, he got drunk. <laughs> I'm not making excuses for us today over Christmas and New Year's. But he was imperfect. He wasn't a perfect person. And everyone knows that Peter was a loudmouth, always ready to speak up, always ready to step in and, you know, tell Jesus what he should be doing. I want us to think about this, that if life gets too hard to stand, kneel. And that's a quote by George P. Hinckley. If life gets too hard to stand, kneel. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 to 3, I don't actually have this scripture up there. But this is the scripture that Jesus quoted from the scroll when he stood up in the temple and proclaimed of himself, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those that mourn the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies goes on just a little bit more in in Isaiah and it says to all who mourn in Israel he will give a crown of beauty for ashes a joyous blessing instead of mourning festive praise instead of despair in their righteousness they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory amen God has planted you for his own glory isn't that magnificent to think about that God has planted you for his own glory Amen. Let's look to him this morning. Lord, we just want to thank you. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you that we can worship you. Lord, that we can come in, in all our brokenness and tardiness and, and, and frayed and frazzled edges. And Lord, you welcome us with open arms. Lord, I want to thank you that you take what little that we have to give. And Lord, you transform that into something beautiful, just like we saw, Father, with that pot. And Father, I just want to thank you today that each and every single one of us can be confident that you love us, can be confident that we can come before you. In fact, your word says, come boldly into my presence. You want us to come boldly and with confidence today as we worship King Jesus, as we reflect on you. Let not those things that the enemy wants to draw to our attention be a distraction. Maybe let them just be a reminder to us to repent and kneel before you and bow our head before you and seek your face. Lord, may those things, Lord God, within us that are broken 
cause us to be pushed even deeper into the Father heart of God, that more of you will be revealed to each and every single one of our lives. And Lord, through that, we would be able to be productive in leading other people to that same love. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. God is good, God is good.